0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Imagine migrating a whole country into the metaverse, its culture, its knowledge, in an attempt to preserve it in the face of rising sea levels. This week on Download This Show, Tuvalu, a low-lying Pacific nation, is set to become the world's first ever digitised nation, as a direct result of climate inaction. But what does this mean exactly? And can it even be done? Plus, Donald Trump's Twitter profile, banned for inciting violence during the January 6 riots on the United States Capitol building, has been reinstated after a poll on Elon Musk's Twitter showed favour for the move. What does this say about the future of the now controversial social media platform? And Deliveroo is no longer. Is the seemingly sudden demise of the food delivery app a sign of an evolving culture or just an unsustainable gig economy? This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Ray Johnston and welcome to Download This Show. It is a new episode of Download This Show. Ray Johnston here, stepping into Mark Fennell's busy, busy shoes for the next few weeks. And it is a pleasure to welcome our guests for today. We have Cam Wilson, who is Associate Editor at Crikey. Welcome back, Cam.
2: Hi, good to be here.
1: And we have Meg Coffey, who is a social media strategist and manager of digital marketing agency Coffee and Tea. Best name for an (laughs) agency ever. Welcome back, Meg. (laughs) Thank you. Hello there. Now, getting straight into it, the head twit, that's what he calls himself, (laughs) Elon Musk, is continuing on his path of controversial decisions for his most recent acquisition, Twitter, the latest move being unbanning, among other people, Donald Trump. Meg, how did this happen? How did we get here?
0: Oh, The dumpster fire just keeps getting hotter and hotter, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) It does.
0: Look, how did we get here? I mean, it is a smorgasbord of bad decisions on top of bad decisions. Um, And and it changes by the hour. Look, it is really hard to keep up with everything that's happening on Twitter at the moment. But in a way, that's what makes it exciting. So as we all know, Elon Musk bought Twitter and he has fired everyone. There's like maybe three engineers still left in the building. (laughs) Um, And he's making all of these decisions. But the thing is, is he said he was not going to make any decisions about allowing people back on until the content moderation panel had been put in place. And then all of a sudden, sort of, you know, over the weekend, past couple few days, you know, he said, no, actually, I am going to let Donald Trump back on because I'm going to do a poll and the people have spoken. <laughs> it's really bad.
1: And there is no content moderation team there at the moment, is there?
0: uh, No, because they all got fired. Oh,
1: (laughs) oh, gosh. So, Cam, at the time that we are chatting here today, this is a rapidly evolving story, (laughs) Trump hasn't tweeted yet. His account is there. It is visible. There are no tweets. He has famously never liked anything. There's no likes on his account. He's not responded to anyone. Considering he was banned originally for inciting violence... What impact could his account being reinstated have? What could he do with this power?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's what he can do with this power and also what this signals about the rest of the Musk uh, regime at Twitter, right? I mean, what he could specifically do is, you know, he has always been the main character of Twitter. It it felt like he was kind of at the centre of the Twitter universe. And it's not an exaggeration to say that he was a major source of misinformation on the platform. You know, there were studies that were done saying that legitimately when he left, a lot of the kind of MAGA misinformation that was on the network fell away. So, while often, you know, these social networks, you know, they're huge, they've got all these users, many people with millions and millions of, of followers, his combination of a large audience and his influence meant that he was able to use Twitter in an incredibly powerful way. And as we saw in the lead up to the January 6th uh, insurrection in the US in quite a negative way. There's also what this means for the platform writ large, and that's... You know, ever since Elon Musk took over, he's been about this idea of free speech and, you know, letting uh you know letting the platform, you know, taking it taking it to a better place. And that has included, you know, running this poll, putting it to the people, he says. And I find that really funny because he spent so long trying to get out of this deal to buy Twitter because he said this platform. Well, filled with bots. And then suddenly he decides that, well, what I'm going to do to decide one of the major things, one of the biggest decisions by Twitter to ban the then sitting president from the platform, I'm going to put it to this platform, which I've just been saying is completely like overrun with bots. It doesn't make any sense.
1: No, none of it really <laughs> makes any sense. It's, it's you just shake your head and go, what, what is what is happening here? Yeah. Kim? what's Elon's play
2: here? What do we think he's trying to actually achieve? He has come into actually what is a quite unenviable position he he bought Twitter at the height of its value he bought it at an inflated price since then we've seen tech stocks around the world drop massively in value we've also seen interest rates go up and so suddenly it's a lot it's a lot harsher place to be out there if you're in the in the tech game. And so now he's overpaid for something in a worse market and, and essentially bought something at a massively overvalued price. Additionally, he took out loans to buy it because if you're a, you know, a billionaire, a multi-billionaire, even though you're quite rich, you don't necessarily have like liquid money yeah. to, to buy something. It's all in stocks. Exactly. Just like us, right? Oh. <laughs> um, and so as a result, he's actually saddled the company with uh, uh interest payments of more than a billion dollars every year just to kind of um, stay where they are just to keep the to not have to pay the loans back and so as a result he 's kind of got to turn Twitter, which has never really been a very good money maker into a money maker more than money than they 've ever made before, and as advertisers have been leaving because either they were concerned about how he was going to run the platform or have seen how he 's running it and have since fled. He's now trying to figure out ways to, you know, get users up to get people to subscribe. And one of the things I think he's doing is he's just kind of going full on. I'm going to get as many eyeballs on this as possible, and that includes doing something like a stunt, like bringing Trump back for he's him. Going I think hardcore. This is, exactly. He's going hardcore along with his engineers. <laughs> he's saying he's trying <laughs> to get as much attention as he possibly can, with the hopes that he can somehow turn that attention into money.
1: Hardcore. Hardcore mode. So we are, we yeah. are referring to famously uh, what could have been two days ago or two weeks ago because time is a <laughs> construct at the moment. Elon sent out an email to employees or the remaining employees after he fired half of them. Uh, he sent out this email to the remaining 50% of the company to say that they would be going into hardcore mode Uh, that they would be expected to work from the office more than 40 hours a week and they were going to work together to rebuild Twitter. And if they wanted to be a part of that, they should click on a link, which (laughs) sounds like a phishing email. You should never click on a link like that. Uh, And there was an estimated reported about 25% of that remaining 50% that did click on the link, which was much less than what Elon had anticipated. And I've also seen reports that a lot of that 25% were people who relied on the healthcare that Twitter provided or were on visas, so couldn't actually leave Twitter. They were kind of left with no choice. So, yeah, Twitter's kind of a shell of what it used to be in terms of employees. And now we've got all these decisions that Elon's making in regards to what the platform will look like in the future, We've got all of these you know, advertisers fleeing the platform. If you look on Elon's feed at the moment, mm-hmm. it's quite erratic and very strange. Meg, what are all of these moves doing to just the general user experience of Twitter as someone who just has a Twitter account and uses it to talk to their friends or promote mm-hmm. their work? like, Are people just leaving the platform or are we sticking around?
0: Well, I think I think what Cam said is, is spot on, that he's doing whatever, he being Elon, doing whatever he can to get eyeballs on the platform because he needs as many people there as possible so that he can turn it into a, a money-making machine. Uh, look, usage is up. It's, you know, Elon's followers are way up. You know, Twitter, I think, keeps reaching, you know, record numbers of usage. And, and people are fleeing towards the platform instead of from it. And I think that that's because they just they want to see the chaos. Now, is that sustainable? A lot of people came to the platform when Trump was there because they just wanted to see firsthand the crazy stu- stuff that Trump was saying. Um, uh, so I think Elon is. It's. I I'm loath to say anything because you just don't know with that man what he <laughs> what he's thinking. Um, but he's not wrong when he says that usage numbers are up.
2: I think he's kind of. It's funny, you know. He came in. Um, kind of saying he was going to fix it all. with, with You know, he, he is clearly a man who's had success in the past, love him or hate him. You have to acknowledge that. And you get the sense that he has this idea that, you know, the people who were handling Twitter before, they didn't really know what they're doing. They haven't actually, you know, they've never engineered an electric car or sent a rocket to space. So like him coming in with all this experience, approaching it as an engineering problem, I'm sure, he, I'm, this is what he thinks, uh, you know, that he can fix it, that he'll be able to sort it out what we've kind of seen though is as it happens is he's been almost speed running the like um the evolution of social media and and content moderation (laughs) he started off being like you know it's all about free speech and then when he got in he said well you know you got to moderate free speech and it's got to be a place that's safe recently he said um you know we we believe that it's uh freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of reach so that you know people who do uh hateful or negative tweets whatever negative tweets means might have the the reach of their tweets throttled now that's really funny in particular because he you know he came on being like I'm gonna get rid of shadow banning this kind of conspiracy that you know <laughs> certain political uh, certain users of political um, types would be would have their reach reduced he's now coming in saying I am gonna do that he's figuring it out as he goes along that it's great to say you love free speech it's great to be someone who from the outside complains about something but when you've actually got to run the business when you've got to manage the fact that, you know, you've got advertisers, you've got users and balance their interests, it's a little bit harder than it might seem on the surface.
1: I am seeing in my feed, it's either a bit of a mass exodus or just kind of testing the waters of Mm. alternatives to Twitter I'm seeing a lot of people over at Mastodon, Hive Social has popped up as a very user-friendly looking alternative, even though it was built by two people. And I feel (laughs) sorry for them with all of the requests that they're receiving at the moment. Meg, are there any good alternatives to Twitter at the moment for people that don't want to stick around to watch Elon's version burn? No.
0: No. <laughs> um look, I, there there are plenty of other options out there, but there is nothing that is like Twitter. I've, you know, I I like you have signed up to a couple different, you know, Mastodon, uh is it Post is the is one that I'm waiting to get in on. Um Hive, I checked that one out. I, I don't mind Hive. Like you said that one that one's pretty user friendly. Yeah. Um and I like how it separates, you know, text into one in one sort of view and then your photos and then all of it. But no, Twitter is unique. There's nothing like Twitter. And I think that that's why Twitter, for those of us that are the power users, you know, that that small percentage that use it ex- a lot, um, there, there's nothing like it. There's nothing that has the same level of community, the same level of um, connectivity. I mean, you you can try and put your thoughts on LinkedIn, but you tend to be a LinkedIn bro. <laughs> um, and that's it's that short, sharp. You know, I think I think Twitter it makes people better writers because you've got two hundred eighty characters to to form your thoughts. Um, I don't. There is to me, there's nothing like it. What I do find hilarious in all of this, though, is that not a single person is mentioning heading over to Facebook.
1: <laughs> oh no, not at all. No, Cam, how are you finding the Twitter alternatives? Do you think <laughs> you'll jump ship? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, as a journalist, I have been thinking about what are the other options out there? Um, Mastodon, the one you mentioned, it's a kind of open source one. That's almost like a mix between Twitter and email. Uh, the email aspect is that, you know, rather than all being on the same platform, you're actually on individual servers that connect with all these other servers, much like your email account does. Uh, but that kind of gives it a bit of a strange experience. Um, I weirdly, really, I actually think that the closest analog for Twitter isn't actually the ones that look really similar, like Hive, you mentioned, or M- Mastodon. I actually think it's something like Substack, which is about, you know, people having control over the information that they're putting up, building up following. it's even introduced features recently that allow you to like host chats and stuff although it may not be like identical in terms of how it looks I think in terms of being able to give people the ability to reach their followers that's actually weirdly a closer analog
1: download this show is what you're listening to it's your guide to the week in media technology and culture and just weeks out from christmas Thousands of delivery riders and restaurants are feeling the fallout of the sudden demise of Deliveroo in Australia. Cam, what
2: happened to Deliveroo? So Deliveroo pulled up stumps, I think it was now last week uh, and kind of immediately without really any notice, at least publicly, that they were ceasing operations. And that just meant that, you know, if you had an account on there, you could, I think, still see it. The app still is open, but you can't place any more orders. If you're a writer, you can't take someone's order. And obviously if you're a restaurant, you can't be fulfilling people's orders. So they did this citing the fact that um financial conditions have gotten worse, that's competitive um market in Australia. And um pretty much just said, Thanks for everything, see you later.
1: <laughs> wow. So Meg, where has this left workers? You know,
0: do they have any protections at all? What. <clears throat> Look, it's an interesting one. No, they don't because they're not necessarily, you know, this is part of the big conversation. Are they technically employees of these businesses or are they contractors? And I think that that's, you know, I'm, I'm not across the legalities of it all, but I think there's been quite a few court cases, um, at least in the U.S., pushing that fact. Are they employees or, or are they not? So uh, for, the, for short, no, the employees are, are a bit stuck yeah. in this one.
2: So they, they are, at least with Deliveroo in Australia, they are contractors, which means they're not employees. They don't get employee benefits like severance. Um, now there have been other um, uh, rideshare and food delivery services, gig economy companies mm. that have started to create more, um, you know, uh, have, have moved away from the contractor model. Like Uber in Australia is starting to um, set in some kind of formalized uh, agreement with their contractors that takes them beyond just independent contractors. And the other... Albanese government has kind of said, we've got this on the agenda. We're going to do something about gig economy workers to give them more rights. But at the moment, specifically for Deliveroo drivers, I think 15,000 of them, it's just, um, yep, see you later.
1: There was just this huge and obviously completely justified dependence on delivery apps during lockdowns in particular. Is Deliveroo just a bit of a canary in a coal mine, an indication of how society is shifting a little bit away from reliance on these delivery apps. Are we going to see this flow on to other delivery apps like Uber Eats?
2: I think we're seeing uh, there are broader um, macroeconomic trends. I can't believe I used that sentence. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> there's there's stuff going on. Like you know, the, the, like I mentioned um, in the previous segment, um, interest rates are going up. The, the cheap money that has existed for years and years that vcs have been able to give out and then in the hopes of getting long-term payoffs that's now dried up and that means that all of a sudden you know companies that have built on uh hopefully you know expanding a lot and then being able to cash in on it now they're suddenly being told you've got to start paying up these loans or, or you've got to start showing profits otherwise i'm not going to give you any more capital that's like the broader things that are happening um obviously in australia as well it is a quite a competitive food delivery market. We don't have that many people. And um, we're also seeing just behaviors, I think, snap back, in a way that not everyone in Silicon Valley in tech companies expected. I think a lot of them expected this is the way that we will be now. We're all, you know, I don't think they thought we'll all be stuck in our homes forever, (laughs) but the changes in behavior where people were spending more time online, they were getting more of these things through these services. I think they kind of expected that to stay that way and it hasn't. And we've seen that affect companies like Meta, Um, you know, they've recently laid off um, like 13% of their workforce. It's across Silicon Valley, but yeah, it goes to even you know a delivering company food delivering companies in Australia as well.
1: Meg, do you think that more of these you know on demand apps, gig economy style apps, do need to be worried about this seemingly new trend?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think what Cam said is is spot on about how Silicon Valley I think misread the situation. They expected us to adopt all this new technology and then stick with it without. Um, putting into account human behavior and that is that we need people and we need human touch and we miss going out to dinner with people and eating at a restaurant and having service or we miss um, getting together with people and that we don't necessarily all just want to sit around with, with you know, video cameras on our head or video <laughs> goggles on our head like meat puppets. Um, so I do think I think that and I think also what Cam said about, you know, Australia being a, a smaller country. That's a fact. You know, with only, what, 25, 26 million people, we can only sit sustain so many things. Uber is really, really entrenched for us. I mean, I use Uber Eats all the time. Um, have never once used Deliveroo. I uh, have never once used a lot of the other ones. I think it's you, you, you kind of find your, your one and you stick with it. Do we necessarily need five of them when I can get everything on Uber Eats? Probably not.
1: You are listening to Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, filling in for Mark Fennell for the next few weeks, and I am joined by Cam Wilson, Associate Editor at Crikey, and Meg Coffey, who is the social media strategist and manager of digital marketing agency Coffee and & Tea. And in response to climate and rising sea levels, the Pacific nation of Tuvalu has started the process of migrating its country into the metaverse in an effort to continue its existence. And this is being called a global and technological first. Cam, what will this digital twin of Tuvalu look like?
2: Yeah, so. Um what they kind of proposed is essentially using this uh, digital replica of the country to try and bring three aspects of the company uh, of the country through. It's to bring its geography, so you know, have something that looks like the country, to bring its culture, and also br- to bring its sovereignty, the idea of having a sovereign nation. And this is obviously in response to the threat that is happening to the island nation uh, that may not exist for much longer if current trends continue Mm. um it is their way of saying well how can we use technology that's available us to be able to um i guess you know allow the country to exist even though you know its very nature is challenged
1: meg is this yeah a a stunt a, a, a very justified stunt but is this just a stunt to send a message or should we take this as a genuine attempt to preserve culture or is it a bit of both
0: I think it's definitely a bit of both. I mean, you, you've had tourism agencies for a while now start to use AR and VR to replicate their their properties, their destinations, and then use that as a way to promote. So I can see how, because I do always like to try and be the optimist. I can see how they're going to use this and be like, no, this is our culture, and this is what it was like. Um, you know, when we still had land, and and this was our beautiful. World, And so it can be preserved for forever. Um, but then I also think it's a stunt because where are you going to take all the, the, the people? Are you just going to, like, put them in another country and give them all goggles and be the meat puppets again? Mm. Like, I don't I, – so, yes. Yeah, so in that regard, that's where I'm like, well, it is a stunt because you're just trying to get people's attention. But any stunt that gets people's attention on climate change is, is okay by me. Yeah. How do you feel about it, Ken?
2: I'm actually surprisingly optimistic about the use of technology. I think that's funny when we're on (laughs) a show like this. We're always (laughs) kind of negative about it.
1: No, I love technology. I just don't like when it's misused. Me too,
2: me too. And and I think like this is the way of uh, people trying to use the tools at hand in an innovative way to Mm. preserve something that is being threatened. And look, you know, like we do preserve all kinds of culture through the internet now. You know, even like your local footy clubs, Facebook group, you know, that is preserving culture and, you know, sharing memes and interacting through that. This is not that kind of disparate from that. And and to me, you know, I mean, not to get too philosophical or wanky about it, but like, you know, the idea of a, of a country itself and, you know, that your geography and you've got these set borders is, is all like an arbitrary concept anyway. Being able to preserve something like that um, using technology that might be able to help people, you know, as they spread across the country, if they are forced to move from the country. Um, to me, that's at least a promising idea. Obviously, the execution matters and maybe that's where you can be kind of skeptical of it. But ultimately, like, why not? Like, why not try something like this? And um, not just because it's it's possible, but because for these people, it's one of the few kind of avenues they have. Do
1: we see this as being the start of a trend? Meg, do you think other nations might follow in this
0: step? That's a very good question. Look, I think if you look at it in the optimistic way, you know, take the sort of the climate change out of it, if you look at it as a way to preserve your history and your culture, then definitely, I can definitely see other countries doing this. Again, throwing back to the, the tourism angle, it's a great way to, to, to showcase what your country is all about. But... Um, But on the flip side of that, I hope for humanity that we enjoy being humans, not computer-generated people. Oh, that's fair. That's a very fair point.
1: (laughs) There is a lot being promised by the various metaverse players at the moment. We we talk about the metaverse. It still does feel like a bit of an abstract concept or you think of things like Facebook's Horizon World, which looks terrible. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. (laughs) Do we really think at this stage with what we know that the metaverse is going to be something that people will actually use in their daily lives, Cam?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's the like $10 billion question. Um, I use that number specifically because I think that's the amount that Facebook lost in the last quarter just on its um, metaverse project. I mean, yeah, it's a tough one. And again, like, you know, I tend to think that, there will be at some point we will use a lot more at least augmented reality and probably, Mm. I think, virtual reality in the future. It has been a concept, as we've, I think, probably mentioned a lot on the show, that has, you know, it's always been a couple of years away from being a couple of years away. You know, it's constantly been an idea that's been around and advances in technology have made that now more possible and it's more sophisticated, but yet we still haven't seen broader consumer trends where people want to stick, as Meg said before, a big kind of goggles over their eyes and kind of, you know, wave around their living room to experience (laughs) this stuff. Um, I do think that there is a chance, a, a pretty good chance that something like this happens. But then there's even like, you know, different questions. Like if the metaverse happens and, and this has been something that has been um, – uh, you know, coin or really like you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has bet the company on which he renamed it Meta. Will they be the ones who bring it in, or will it happen through other ways? You know, Fortnite, which is the the popular computer game with kids, that's you know that's actually a great example of something close to the metaverse that we already have. You know, it's a, it's a kind of first person shooter, but they also now host like Travis Scott concerts and 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 other musicians in there for this kind of immersive experience. I'm not sure that Meta will necessarily be the one who's able to bring it in. You know, there's been a lot of uh, questions around it. But I do think that, you know, it is something that, it, like as things get better, is a, is a pretty good shot of happening.
0: Meg, can I ask you to predict the future, please? <laughs> Will we be using <laughs> the metaverse? Look, I don't need the metaverse. I need the the closet software from Clueless.
1: Oh, yes. There is an app for that now. Is there? It really does exist.
0: <laughs> Wait, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I missed that one. I'll, I'll uh, link it. I'll link okay. it to you later. It's a, it's a teenage girl thing, Cam. Okay. Clueless, you know. It's all right. We want to see um, what our outfits look like on us before we have to get that dressed.
2: exists. They already have that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay.
0: It's real okay. good, Meg. I'll, all I'll, right. I'll send you the link. <laughs> all right. I'm behind. The, I'm behind it. Well, then I guess I am ready for the metaverse. Then. Um, look, no, I do. I do. I think that aspects of it will be part of our life, but I agree in that I think we'll have a little bit. More um, or a lot more augmented reality and and virtual reality helping us do things before we're actually fully immersing ourselves for hours on end in the metaverse. Um, I'll pick up the phone and call you before I jump in <laughs> jump in horizon or wherever it might be and have a chat.
1: Well, that is all we have time for on the show today. A big thank you to Cam Wilson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for being hardcore together. <laughs> <laughs> and Meg Coffee, lovely to chat with you again.
0: Oh, always a laugh, guys. Thank you.
1: Now, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. I'm Ray Johnston, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.